0: Thanks. Sorry. (laughs) And counting until Thanksgiving. And I want you to think about what comes to your mind when you think about Thanksgiving. Here's four different options. Maybe it's football. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's pumpkin pie. That's what I think of. Pumpkin pie. It's a separate category. And four is friends and friends. Family. So, I'm going to have you stand in a moment as we take our poll to see uh, what resonates most with you about what you think about initially. So, you only can choose one. Everybody who uh, thinks about football first, stand up. All right. Football fans out there. Is Joe okay? Steven, Ed, Dwight. All right. Gary. Very good. Excellent. All right. Now, how about food? Food in general. You can stand up. All right. Yeah, no, not about it. Excellent. Okay, how about pumpkin pie? Who's going to stand with me? All right, my sons have uh, followed in my footsteps. That's a beautiful thing to see. Way to go! We'll all have a pie social together uh, tonight. Pumpkin pie. Uh, family and friends. Uh, it's the rest of you, right? All right. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to Thanksgiving. One of my pet peeves at Thanksgiving was when I listen to news reports. Ports and people saying, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that. And they never say, I'm thankful to God. And I say, who are you thankful to? Are you thankful to fate? Is that who you're thanking? Are you thankful to chance? Are you thankful to luck? Are you thankful to yourself? Who are you? You've got to be thankful to someone who Or something? Are you thankful to the universe? Really? What are you thankful for? Well, it's our joy and privilege as a ministry to get out there and tell people that God loves them and He's the one that they need to be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Yes. And uh, the thing about thanksgiving is that God gives to us. In order that what? We might be consumers? No. God gives to us in order that we might give to others. We're just a pass-through. Okay? We're a vehicle of God's grace and God's blessings and material resources. That's the way it should work. Now, we keep some of it for our own needs and some of it for maybe some of our own wants. But the rest of it should flow right through but the problem is it gets stuck with us. <laughs> That's not right. We need to continue to pray that God would give us a spirit of generosity. And, oh, this is just... this. I was talking with uh, Bill Atkinson. He said this is his favorite day of the year. It was such a generous day at Springbrook. we got our Thanksgiving turkeys uh, coming in. I think we have 70 or more Thanksgiving turkeys that you guys have given Thanksgiving meals to people. In need, And thank you so much uh, for your generosity. We see some others up here. Uh, Thanksgiving for sailors is coming up. We've got 40 sailors coming in on Thanksgiving Day. We have 70 people that are going to be there uh, and we would love to have you there. If you do not have a place to go for Thanksgiving, please sign up and come or just come. It's just it's just a great day getting to know these sailors. There no other people here at Springbrook. There's no excuse. And bring people along who don't have a place for Thanksgiving. There's always more than enough food. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, thank you so much for all of you who put the boxes together. That takes a lot of work uh, to put those boxes together. But they're going to be so much appreciated by the kids that receive them around the world. Winter clothing drive starts next week, bringing gently used clothes, uh, coats, mittens, hats, things of that nature that we'll give to homeless agencies uh, that minister to them. Angel Tree will talk about uh, that later. So it's just a wonderful time of year. Well, uh, it's our desire, our heart's strong passion, not to be compassionate just during the holiday season, but throughout the year. We want to grow our hearts of compassion That the holiday is just another season of compassion that we uh, go through. So we're going to be talking today about a call to compassion. We've been in this series. Uh, We're in the third of four installments. Compassion for the hurting. Uh, We talked about the Good Samaritan. Compassion for the hopeless. We talked about the judgment. Matthew 25, Jesus Christ said, you clothed me and you fed me. Uh, Today we're talking about compassion for the hungry, poverty, poverty. And just as next week, we're going to have Tom Jensen, who is the director of Willow Creek's Compassion Ministry for many years, and he's going to be speaking from his heart and his deep experience. So please be with us uh, for that. He was in the trenches and still is of compassion. Well, let's take a look at uh, what we're going to be studying today. We're going to start out in Romans 12.8. Turn your Bibles there. I always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you as we... uh, Taking God's word. Verse 8, for the poor you always have with you, Jesus Christ says, but you do not always have me. Jesus Christ was uh, speaking at a particular event, and people have taken this verse out of context. And they said, hey, for the poor you will always have with you. So, hey, the poor are always going to be around. There's no way we're going to solve the problem. Jesus Christ said it, so why put a lot of energy into it? Let's just accept the fact and maybe work on a problem that we can solve. This verse has been used by so many churches, so many people to say it's an impossible problem. And totally out of context. If you look at this verse within context, it's Mary anointing Jesus Christ with perfume before he's about to go to the cross. She's preparing him for the cross and Judas speaks up uh, the treasurer and the thief. And he says, oh, well, if we would have sold that perfume to, uh, if we sold it, we could give it to the poor. Well, he wanted the money for himself anyway. And Jesus said, you can always have the time to give resources to the poor. But this is a very special time. This is a very special moment. And this is very appropriate. That's what he was saying. In fact, he was quoting from Deuteronomy. We see in Deuteronomy it says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. He was quoting from that. But notice what it goes on to say, Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Now, as we study the Old Testament law, we we feel the heart of God. God has a tremendous heart for needy and oppressed people. And this particular verse says so much. Therefore, I command you in response to the needy, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And the question for you and myself today is what kind of hand do we have toward needy people? I find some people have a tight-fisted hand. You cannot get anything out of their hand because they said, it's mine. I made it. I'm going to keep it. It's my security. And if other people want some, they can go after it themselves. And if they find themselves in a needy situation, it's because they didn't plan. It's because they didn't think. They're not as intelligent as I am. Oh, I hate to even say these things. (laughs) It's such a simple attitude, you know. But some people are that tight. Sinfully tight. Now, more common is the hand in the pocket. i got my hand in my pocket, and I'm going around day by day interacting with needy people. And once in a while, if I'm in the right mood, I move to help someone. So I you know, come out of a store, the Salvation Army bucket is there, so I'll toss something in. So I'll give a handout. Right? And I'll put my hand right back in again. All right, I don't want to keep it out there too long. And maybe I've got some extra time on a Saturday. My agenda opened up, and uh, a neighbor who's in need. Maybe someone's sick in the family, and I just need to go down and help them around the house. You know, I'm in the right mood. I've got some time. I'm going to do a good deed. Take the old hand out, and I'm going to help him right back in after it's done. Don't want to be too generous. You know, got to protect my interests. I think we all struggle with a cautious hand, don't we? I know I do. What does God want us to have? He wants us to have an open hand. A hand that's always extended as we go throughout our day, looking for people to minister to. A hand that says, I want to give. I want to be involved in your life. And that scares people silly, having an open hand. Well, what if I have an open hand and they take my money and they take my time and it gets out of control? <laughs> well, sometimes it does get out of control when you open yourself up to people. They can hurt you, right? But that's what God wants us to have is an open hand. And so my prayer for you and myself is that we at Springbrook would have an open hand to people. And that's something God really needs to work in our lives, we just wouldn't give a hand out, but we would give our whole hand to them. Then the Spirit. Now, God knew that we'd struggle with this. And so, give you some context of this next verse. Every seven years in Israel, they had what they called the Sabbath year. And that particular year, this was God's economy. This is very interesting. We've talked a lot about the economy in the last year. And uh, this is God's economy. This is his rulership over Israel and says, this is how you guys are going to do uh, your business together. And so every seven years, all debts were forgiven. Amen? Oh, amen. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Every seven years. And you know why he built that in there? He built that in there because he knew that his people were sinful. And they were going to take advantage of each other. They were going to... Uh, do things that were sinful with money. And so he built certain things into his economic system that would be self corrective toward our natural sinful natures. And so every seven years, the debts were forgiven because it's not about how much you have. It's about how much you love God and love others. Verse 9, uh, this is the context now, okay? Or this is the verse. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought, a sinful thought, in your heart and you say, The seventh year, the year of release, when they again cancel out the debts, is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. When he comes to you for some money, for a loan, you give him nothing because you fear he'll never pay it back. And he cries to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin like, hey, it's not a good investment. God says, make it anyway. But I'm going to lose money. If if I'm telling you to do it, you do it. And that's where we get very, very tight sometimes. And uh, we sin against those people who are in need. Many times people look at ministry to the poor as uh, something that's just kind of like another ministry. Oh, you're into that. That's fine. Yeah, you go ahead and minister to the poor and the needy. No. We all are to minister to the poor and the needy. And they're all around us, as we talked about in the last couple of weeks. And we need to respond to them. We need to ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us, to move us, to be responsive to their needs. Now, when we talk about poverty, there's so much we could say. Uh, but if we talk about classical poverty, when you think about poverty, you think about poverty generation after generation after generation in different parts of the country, different inner city, and around the world. The majority of people live in poverty. They live on $2 a day. $2 a day. That's poverty, isn't it? And and when you think about the United States, uh, when you think about hunger, there's 49 million people estimated that struggle with putting food on the table. 49 million people. And 16 million of those people are children. Struggle with putting food on the table. There's a the newly poor. You think about the last four years and the devastation economically that we've suffered. And many of you are newly poor. Uh, things are just like night and day from where you were economically four years ago. You've lost a job. You You can't find a job. Uh, you've had some type of medical issue and the bills just skyrocket and you don't have the job because you can't work and, or you go through a divorce and that puts you in a whole other economic realm. And friends, if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't like to think about this, but many of us are just one disaster away from being poor ourselves. One disaster away from being poor ourselves. That's something to think about. That's why we need to trust in God and God alone. So, what does uh, God say? He goes on in Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, about our attitude toward the needy. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Cut out the sin from your heart. Cut out the prejudice. Cut out the stubbornness that you have toward meeting the needs of people who are poor. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial, who does sit in judgment, who is not prejudicial, and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing." So many times we'll see this idea of the fatherless and the widow mentioned over and over again in Scripture. Why is this? Well, back in that day, it was an agrarian society, and there wasn't a big welfare system. And basically, uh, there were things built in to the law that helped provide for the poor. Like, you know, when you went to harvest your crops, you needed to keep the margins of your fields Unharvested in order that the poor might come through and gather food. There are different things like that. But still, if you were poor, you really were poor because you needed a breadwinner. You needed somebody who had a farm or some other way to barter in order to live. And if you were an orphan, you didn't have anybody like that. And if you were a widow, maybe without an extended family, you were poor. So, well, Christ is saying here: whenever He talks about the fatherless and the widow, He's talking about the poor. He's talking about the poor. He executes justice. He takes care of the fatherless and the widow. And this is very interesting. He loves the sojourner. That's the stranger. That's the person who was going through the land. The person who had no connection whatsoever, or we might say, the immigrant. There's been a lot of talk about immigration, and that debate's going to go on for a long time. And you know what, friends? The immigrant's a sojourner. And it doesn't matter what your position is on immigration. It's okay to have a position and opinion about immigration. But the bottom line is, God says, you need to care for the immigrant on your street, for the immigrant. In your workplace, you need to love them and do everything you can to be an encouragement to them. That's God's word. He cares about those people. And if he cares about them, you and I should care about them. Well, let's uh, get a little more broad here uh, in terms of how we need to be. Filled with compassion and justice, and let me give you the big picture. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, our key verse for heart strong, uh, and talk about what we're to do as Christ followers. Uh, so we see there in Luke 26, uh, Jesus Christ said to the lawyer, "What is written in the law? How do you read it?" And he answered, "You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." So love God. And love people. So that's a great commandment. So first of all, we see love God. Number one, we're to love God. Number two, we're to love people. Now, there are two different words I'd like to talk about in regards to how we do this. How are we to love God and love people? The first uh, first, uh, word is righteousness. In relationship to God, the key word is righteousness. That we are to respond to God in the right way. Now... We have no righteousness of ourselves, as we were reminded in the Good Samaritan. Our righteousness only comes from Jesus Christ. And therefore, the righteousness that he has put within us, uh, we need to live out through his power on a daily basis and make it a reality in our lives. Now, the key word when it comes to loving people is the word justice. Justice. Now, that's a new word uh, to some of you. Uh, Justice in the Bible simply put means treating other people fairly Where compassion has more of the idea of loving another person justice has the idea of treating a person fairly making sure that their rights their God-given rights are again uh, experienced by them so those are the two key words now let's go to the next passage we're going to see these themes as we go through here. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to that other passage. One more comment I needed to make. Uh, the two words. I'm sorry. Yeah, the two words. All right. Righteousness and justice. Now, if you look in the Old Testament and you study these two particular words, righteousness and justice, there's two different Hebrew words for uh, these individual ideas. Two different Hebrew words, one for righteousness and one for justice. If you move from Hebrew to Greek, uh, Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, there's one word that means both righteousness and justice. So if you're a reader in that day, you're reading the Greek, and you read this particular word, you say, oh, that's righteousness and justice. But when it was translated from the Greek to the English, the translators in many occasions only chose one of the words, when the original Greek word meant righteousness and justice, typically they chose righteousness. Okay, you understand that? We have two different words in the Hebrew, righteousness and justice. They're combined with one word in the New Testament in the Greek, but when it was translated into English, you lose a little bit. And what you lost was the idea of justice. So you look at a verse uh, like uh, Matthew 6:33, but seeks first the kingdom of God, and the righteous and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, that's a, a life verse, right? That's what life is all about. Seek God first. Seek to be righteous through Him, and God will take care of the rest. But let's take it and understand it for the full meaning of it. And this is what we see. But seek first His kingdom of, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and justice. And all these things will be added to you. Well, that's a totally different twist, isn't it? Righteousness and justice. Righteousness toward God and justice toward people. Friends, this is the full gospel. The full gospel is not just relating to God in the right way, but it's relating to people in the right way. Loving people, showing compassion, making sure that justice is done in their lives. So we have righteousness and justice many times coupled in the Old Testament. If you look for it, you'll see righteousness and justice. You don't see this often in the New Testament for the reason I just gave you. Let's look at another passage. We look at Micah 6, 8, another wonderful verse, summing up what our responsibility is as a Christ follower, as a God-fearer in the Old Testament. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, as we look at that verse, where can we find righteousness and justice? Well, first of all, let's look at justice. All right? Justice. Justice is loving people. So what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? To make sure that people's rights that have been given to them by God, that they are able to to experience those. And loving kindness, well, that's the idea of mercy and compassion. So justice and compassion. And where's where's the idea of righteousness, our relationship with God? Well, let's look at it. To walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly is righteousness to love God. So there we have again justice and righteousness. That's what we're asked to do. Let's look at another verse. James chapter 1, verse 27. I remember back in college, uh, I memorized the whole book of James. And that was when my mind was young and fresh, and the neurons were. Clicking off, and it was just amazing. I can I almost remember the experience. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like uh, you know a head of cheese that's got kind of all kinds of holes in it now. But uh, all I had to say is that's not happening again, but I still seek to memorize verses. Uh, but I, I always remember coming across this verse and kind of being a little puzzled. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I said, okay. I mean, this is a this is an important verse. Religion, yeah, in the best sense of the word. That's what I want to do. So what? Visit orphans and widows. I I don't know if I know any orphans or widows. What's that about? I guess I guess that's an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing as well. There were more orphans and widows back in that day. <laughs> What's he saying here? He's saying. Take care of the needy. Again, the orphans and the widows were the needy. Take care of the poor. Take care of those pers- people who are suffering, and to keep oneself being abstained from the world. So, where do we see righteousness and justice here? Well, first, let's look at visit widows and orphans. That's justice, right? Take care of those people whose needs are not being met, who are. Probably being treated unjustly by other people and taken advantage of. This is a justice issue to love people. Where's the righteousness issue? Well, let's let's look. Unstained by the world. To have a pure heart. To seek God out. To respond to Him. That's righteousness. That's to love God. Isn't this cool? I love this. Do you love this? It's so cool to see it over and over again. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Love God. Love people. It's the full gospel. It's what we want to teach. And I'll be honest with you, I have not done my job in teaching you enough about justice. I've been okay in compassion, not as strong as I want to be, but justice I really have not been. So I apologize to you guys. And you're going to hear a lot more of this stuff. Because it is what God desires of us. And the more I read these passages, the more I learned. I just said, oh, man. God, when God really gets angry about something, that's when you better pay attention. And I tell you what, a lot of his anger in the Old Testament is about oppression of people who needed justice. Okay? So, that's where we're going. Uh, now... Let's take a look at compassion and justice. Let's first of all look at compassion. What's the definition of compassion? Well, uh, loving actions toward those in need. You want to love people who have all different types of needs. We've talked about that over the last two weeks. And I want to thank those of you who uh, emailed me your compassion stories. In fact, I think i got 20, 25 of them. Thank you so much. And I'm going to be sharing some of those tonight at our... Praise and uh, Thanksgiving gathering. Uh, I really encourage you to come out tonight. We, we have a great time. We sing together. We we just tell stories about what God is doing. We brag on God, and then we have pumpkin pie and uh, there's some apple pie there too. Uh, but uh, it's a bring. Oh, it's just an, a wonderful time to kick off the Thanksgiving week and just be with the family. It's just a wonderful time for the family to come and the kids to hang out. Yeah, it's great. But all I had to say is uh, loving actions towards those in need. Now, let's look at justice. What's justice? Well, justice, efforts to ensure people are treated fairly. Again, that their God-given rights are fulfilled. So how does compassion and justice work together? Well, let's look at some different issues here. Let's look at the issue of abortion. 55 million children have had their lives taken from them since 1973. Fifty-five million, about a million, two hundred thousand a year. Talk about genocide. Talk about uh, generation being wiped out. It's so sad. It's so sad. So how do we respond with compassion? Well, we work through the Tri-County Pregnancy Center, and uh, we encourage those women who are leaning toward keeping their babies to have a place to go to where they can be encouraged and resourced and walk through that journey alone. When so many people are telling them to do something different, for people who've had abortions, if you've had an abortion here, God forgives. God forgives, and I encourage you to go to the Tri County Pregnancy Center or talk with one of our pastors. But go to the Tri County Pregnancy Center. And if you still uh, have not worked through that grief and all the issues involved in that, they will counsel you. They are the people to go to who are specialists in helping you work through God's forgiveness and relationship uh, to this. So that's compassion. Justice is advocating for the sanctity of life. That means that we do whatever we can to encourage people to realize that life begins at conception. And women say, well, it's my body. Well, yeah, it's your body, and you should be so thankful that God gave you this unbelievable privilege to carry His creation, and that's not your creation in there. That's God's creation, and you shouldn't be messing with it, right? That's what the Word of God teaches. And friends, we need to continue to talk about that with our co-workers, to talk about it with other people, however God leads you to advocate for life. For justice, follow God's lead in that way. And we can make such a difference just by dialoguing about it. Because people just have been taught, you know, Satan's way of thinking about life. that There's no value uh, in it. Okay, let's look at the homelessness. Homelessness, all right? Now, to be compassionate toward the homeless, there's over 600,000 in the United States. Uh, I'm sure there's even more than that. But we have the Wayside Center in Elgin and other homeless Uh, ministries, and so they can go there. There's a pad site right next to Elgin, uh, or right next to the Wayside Center in Elgin, where they can spend the night. And uh, so we want to meet their needs. We want to feed them food. We support Gene and uh, Judith Heckenberg, uh, who ministered to the homeless in Elgin. Justice would be to teach uh, teaching homeless career and life skills. So that's exactly what the Wayside Center does as well. Last year, our year-end offering, $5,000 $5,000 of it went toward putting a computer center, a new computer center in for the Wayside Center. That's a justice move on our part so that the staff there can teach the homeless how to upgrade their computer skills in order that they might be employable and to give them skills. And the most important thing is introducing them to Jesus Christ, which transforms everything. So that's that uh, particular issue. All right, well, moving on here. We look at Amos 5.24. And this is such a rich verse. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Oh, that, when I came across that verse this past a week, uh, just, just uh, close your eyes and think about the imagery of that. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Again, you see... coupling, right? Justice for people and righteousness for God. This past Friday, we celebrated my middle son, Wesley's 20th birthday. And uh, his birthday is today. Happy birthday, son. (laughs) So we headed over to Chuck E. Cheese's. Necessary, you know it, man. Uh, we just go there just for the pizza now. You know, it's just such good pizza. You know, and then if you don't eat it for some reason, use it for cardboard for other purposes. Uh, no, really, we went to Twilight. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. No, you wouldn't like Twilight. That's a joke. Okay, and you don't, you know what Twilight is? Okay, yeah. forget it. Uh, what, what's the deal here? How many know what Twilight is? Okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> we, went, we went to see Lincoln. Now my, my son's a big movie buff. So he went to see Skyfall in the afternoon, uh, the Bond movie, and then he went to see Lincoln at night uh, with the family. And I tell you what, all mercy. That is an awesome movie. That is a classic. Uh, it's the last four months of Lincoln's life and he's dealing with the abolition of slavery and it's so multi-layered in regards to what he was going through on a personal level with his children and with his wife and then it dealt with of course the political scene in terms of how he brokered a deal (laughs) very very imaginative deal what an unbelievable leader a beloved leader and how he put it all together, and how he brought about the abolition of slavery. Now, of course, there have been many people uh, before him working on this, many people after him, but it it just showed Lincoln making one of the most important decisions in our country in the midst of a civil war, and you had his cabinet, you had all kinds of people saying to him, if you make this decision, if if you spend your political chips on this, you know, you're not going to end the Civil War. People dying all the time in the Civil War. Thousands and thousands of people. And the movie just uh, embodies the struggle that he was going through on so many different levels. And, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, God bless him for the gift he gave him of acting. He just embodied Lincoln. And I tell you, everybody cheered at the end. A bunch of old white people, you know. <laughs> Great, it's, you know, it's kind of like where is everybody here? You know, I mean, this is an awesome movie. So tell everybody they should to see Lincoln. But what really just kind of just oh, it spoke so deeply to my heart is it's this verse. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. To watch that movie and to appreciate what that did for African Americans. Again, another way to define justice is the abuse of power to take away people's God-given rights. And that is what slavery is all about. It's the abuse of power to take away the freedom that every individual should experience. And here I saw a movie that illustrated what Happen what God did through Abraham Lincoln to bring justice into this world. And to think today that we have an African-American president. When you think about the Civil Rights Union and things like that, and whatever you think of Obama, okay, whatever you think of Obama, put that aside just for one moment and say, if you watch this movie, you'll think, how could that ever happen? But it's happened. Because Lincoln was one of those people, just like Martin Luther King, who opened the doors. God used to open the doors to free the oppressed, to bring justice into this world. And ah, uh, oh, justice is so beautiful, isn't it? It's so freeing. It's, uh, but it's so precious because there's so little of it in our world. You think of uh, human trafficking. I was talking with Michael Markshott, and He did a speech. One of his classes, uh, he's going back to school and uh, on human trafficking. And you know, Chicago is the third center, largest center in the United States for human trafficking. Right here in Chicago. It's happening. You think about sex trafficking, you know. You think about poverty around the world. I mean, issue after issue where justice is not being done in these third world countries, human right abuses in China, I mean, it goes on and on. And it's almost like we say, we can't do it. You know, we can't make an impact. What are we, you know, this church here? Or is this body of people? What can we do? Well, we can do what God calls us to do, what God directs us to do as we go on this journey. And God is the one who does it. This is never going to be a perfect world. We're going downhill, guys, here in the United States, as you know. The, the pot, we have, you know, peaked, unfortunately. But I tell you what, because of that Christ light, is going to become brighter because people aren't going to be, you know, putting their hope in money. Uh, but, hey, some people say, well, you know, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, so why do anything, but let's just huddle together here and do church and love God and, you know, invite people to come to us. <laughs> no, 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 no! The job is not yet done. We're we're asked to bring justice into this world, to bring God's kingdom into this world to whatever extent He desires that He will do it through us. We've got to open up our minds and our hearts to say, God, how do you want me to be a change agent? And He will use us in unbelievable ways. Going back to the issue of poverty, Galatians 2.10, I love this. Paul was sent out to the church in Antioch as a missionary. And uh, he says, uh, that they told him to do a lot of things. And he said, only, they asked us, the one thing they really wanted to make sure that Paul did in his missionary journeys was to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Don't you love that? And I, I have to ask myself, how eager am I to help the needy? I do a heart check, right? Am I eager to do that? Or it's like, oh, do I have to do that? Or I want to get time? and? You know? An eagerness. Now, I want to go right down to the <laughs> the issue here that we need to struggle with. Uh, Matthew five three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of God. Are we poor in spirit? I was listening to Tim Keller preach on this, and he, uh, the pastor out in New York, and he's a very learned man, and he was saying most of us have middle class spirits. What's a middle class spirit? A middle class spirit is saying, "Well, oh, life is okay. I've done pretty well for myself. I'm self sufficient." chasing after the lifestyle you know that I think that God owes me <laughs> yeah and you know poor people I mean there's all kinds of poor people but uh, yeah they just make so many mistakes they sin a lot you know and I feel bad about it that that's the case and that they get themselves in those jams but uh, you know reap what you sow or you sow what you reap and um, yeah that's kind of sometimes how we think isn't it and that's really wrong that's really sinful to have that kind of attitude toward the poor toward people in poverty I, I was born in 1961 and I was born into a wonderful family I wasn't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, we are middle class. And and God has blessed my life. I tell you what, if I was born into poverty in 1961, statistically, I would still be in poverty. I know there's all kinds of stories. Maybe you grew up in poverty and God has blessed you. And there are those stories. But statistically... That's where I would be. Or let's go back to uh, 1800. Let's say I was born into a slave household down south. I would have died a slave. No matter how brilliant, intelligent, aggressive I was. He's starting to get the picture. You're starting to understand. we need to understand is the truth in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, we have a middle-class spirit. Um, Many times we think that we've accomplished quite a bit. We're responsible and we give ourselves a lot of credit. But we don't deserve any credit. I'm sorry to break this to you. You're not special in any way. None of you. You're special in no way other than God loves you. That's the only reason... You're special. And you say, well, Dan, let me tell you about myself. And you can tell me all you want. You can tell me how intelligent you are. You can tell me how fit you are. You can tell me how wise you are. You can tell me how you invest your money. You can tell me about uh, what you've led, what you've done for other people. And I tell you what, God has done everything through you. If you're smarter than anybody else, you should thank God because He's given you that blessing. And it came from him if you think you're better than anybody in any situation it's only because God made you better and why would he make you better in order that you might care for other people in order that you might help other people that you might love other people more not so that you can brag about it we are all guilty of being middle class in spirit i am guilty of being middle class in spirit I need to imagine myself <laughs> like the good Samaritan. We all like to put ourselves in the in the place of the good Samaritan. That, that's who we are. Yeah, we're we're here to help. We got the answers. We're going to help you out. We're going to get you up on your feet. When we're the man on the side of the road, we're helpless. We're just helpless. Jesus Christ comes by with the gospel and offers it to us. And if we can just give up our pride and say, Jesus, I need you. i got nothing. Please fill me with your life. And he does. But it's just not that day. It's every day you wake up. You are powerless. You're nothing without Jesus, without God. And when you start thinking you're something. When you start, you think you got life under control and you're all that. You are prideful. And you are not walking with Jesus. And uh, we all battle with it every day. And we're never going to have a heart for the poor. We're never going to have a heart for the needy when we realize we're just like them, but by the grace of God but by the grace of God. You are no different than any other person on this planet. You're made in the image of God. You're a sinner. And through the grace of God, Jesus Christ, if you've embraced His grace, you're a child of His. And anything else that's special about you is because God chose to make you special. And you should thank God for that this Thanksgiving. Every good thing... Every ability, every talent, all the money you have, whatever it is, you say, God, I don't know why you did this for me. I don't know why you gave me this skill. I don't know why you blessed me with this business. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I want to thank you and I just want to give it away. Because that's why you gave it to me. That's so why I could go around and and tell people that I have got it together. Let's pray together and Just talk to God about uh, whatever He's speaking to you about at this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I repent of my pride. I'm so prideful, Lord. I, uh, I so often forget that You're the reason for everything. Anything I have, anything I do is because of You. Just the ability to be able to get up here and speak. There's nothing special about me some reason, you chose me to give some skills in this area. And I, I'm very thankful I enjoy it, Lord. But it's all you, you know. I mean, it's nothing about me. I, again, I just want to carry that attitude throughout the week. Whenever I start, when I start feeling good about something about myself, it's okay to feel good about myself, but I've got to go back to the source. It's not Dan. Dance better, smarter, faster, whatever. It's just you. It's you and me. Let me remember that uh, you made me whatever way you made me in order that I might be in relationship with you and that I might be righteous through your Son and that I might, through your power, treat people with justice and compassion. In Christ's name, amen.